I got a message for your American buddy. I'm your wife, damn it! Ah, would have to go up to the wives in the library or the supermarket and say hello. I am new here. I know, George, you think I don't know anything, but I know people. I get 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. You want your file? I found you your file. You want it out? I got you out. You needed money? I found you some. Now, let's face it here. I've got to, you know, latch on to something in my life. Oh, yeah, you blind. No use to try to sweet talk me, Miss Scarlett. I know you ever since I put the first pair of diapers on you. Who was going to love me? Who, who was going to make me feel good? I wish I had a mother like me instead of nice. Nice gets you shit. I got a two-inch thick solo in steak. Sit and defrost and wait this minute. When you and Guy come over and supple with us tonight, what do you say? Welcome to another episode of the Best Supporting Podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating and dissecting the performances of our favorite Best Supporting Actresses. My name is Nick Kachanov. Now, leave me alone. I wish to masturbate. And my name is Colin Drucker, and you can tell them I said that. Ooh. Look at those good complimentary opening lines. Yes, yes. Not planned. I almost... (laughs) Yes, I almost went with another one. I was going to say, there are pearls in my soup. Oh, <laughs> but I was like, no. <laughs> my, was the like, soup's no. delicious. Yeah. I was practicing it before I called you. I was like, no, it's just not going to work in the room. It's just not. No, no. You know, <laughs> you tried it out. You know, you, you did it in previews and it just didn't, it didn't yeah. test. Yeah. Still um, workshopping it. I wouldn't have hated it, just so you know. It would have been fine. Yeah. But I liked the kismet of, of that moment there. So, yes. Uh, all that to say that this week, we, as we had sort of teased on the Best Supporting After Show for those BSATrions out there listening, we are indeed going to be discussing Spencer, which, you know, sometimes we, we focus a little more on a Best Actress kind of movie, but I would say there is certainly a BSA role, maybe even two, in this movie. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of little bits and bobbles, you know. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, yeah. Some this one is scene queens. A movie full of bobbles. Yeah, I <laughs> uh, and of course this was uh, my best supporting assignment from you last week or the late week before, which I yeah uh, received an I for for incomplete. So I'm trying <laughs> to do a little extra credit, bring it to the main feed, and I'm excited to because I think this movie is, um, it it. I think it is. Be, I think it is fair to even call this movie two minutes in misunderstood. Yes, right. Absolutely. Go on. Yeah. Because I, you know, I went into this. You were one of the few people I knew who had enjoyed Spencer, and yeah, one of my other friends who I kind of see a lot of movies and theater with. He was like, "Oh my god, Spencer! I can't just t- tell me when you see Spencer, Jesus!" Like, really, I don't think he liked it, and. I feel like what I'd heard the you know pretty much all about was just like yeah it's like Kristen Stewart masturbating in a dress I don't know you know um, mm-hmm. it was, was kind of like uh, what people were saying about Jesse Buckley and my lost daughter it was like yeah she kind of sure. masturbates in a hotel room so uh, listen ladies you wanna you wanna get an Oscar nomination I'm sensing a theme this year so uh, that's true if Anne Dowd if only she'd taken the note you know. <laughs> So, uh, but anyway, I guess she just wasn't in the mood in mass. But anyway, yeah. uh, yeah, And so I, I kind of went into this with like, I don't really know what to expect. And I feel like people hate this movie. And so, but you had said, you know, it's, it's got kind of this weird Darren Aronofsky kind of artsy feel. And I thought, okay, it, it set my expectations, you know? And I think that was my biggest takeaway from my first big takeaway was like, oh, if you go into this having watched The Crown, you're going to be like, mm-hmm. what the fuck is this? You know? Yes. But, or expecting The Crown. Yeah. 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 And so I think I can understand why people hate this because it's not it's not really like a biopic, you know? Exactly. Yes. I Absolutely agree. I watched it again today and enjoyed it just as much, if not more, than I did the first time. Much like, I mean, it's it's like a. I was going to compare it to the Lost Daughter in a way, but I do feel like it is a little bit different. It there it, there are more like horror elements, or at least like suspense. It reminded me a lot of um, Shiva Baby, with especially with mm, the music. Yeah, like just that tense I, we'll talk about the score because i have a lot to say about it i love this score and i paid a little bit more attention to it the second time around but yeah it is it's not um 
it's not a biopic, but it's 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 just like a little snippet of her life. It's it's it doesn't like it's not a comprehensive look at her, you know, being a part of the royal family. It's just three days. It's Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and Boxing Day, and that's all you get. And I don't know. There's something I I just think it's so. It was only nominated. Uh, Kristen Stewart was the only one who was nominated for this movie. That's that's all it got. But I loved the directing. I loved the writing. I loved the style of this movie. I'm surprised it didn't get um, anything for costumes either. Yeah, I uh, I'm just looking at um, the awards now, and I'm just realizing I didn't bring my glasses, so I'm going to lean into the screen. <laughs> Nobody needs to know. But I am looking to see in terms of the BAFTAs. I I would have assumed. Did this, this 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 get any BAFTAs? Where are your BAFTAs? Hmm. I don't know if Kristen Stewart got nominated because that was like a weird category. Remember, like Lady Gaga was the only one. Yeah, I that think... was sort of you know at least on this side of the pond. I feel like unless I'm crazy, I feel like Spencer did not get any recognition at the BAFTAs. But maybe I shouldn't be surprised by that. I don't know. Uh. Anyway, not but I guess I would. The reason I'm looking that up is because I thought well if. It, if Spencer was going to get any recognition, I guess I'm just, I'm throwing my flowers at the BAFTAs this year because of their recognition of Anne. But yeah, I always wonder about that is like maybe some of our British listeners or BAFTA, you know, uh, aficionados, what is the general kind of tone of like nominating or awarding performances for like, I don't know, either problematic stories about the Royals or, I mean, there was like the mm-hmm. Iron Lady. Didn't she win the BAFTA for Best Actress? I feel like that's, yeah. talk about talk about mixed emotions. So, um, I don't know. But all that to say that, yeah, I feel like this is, um, it, it, it's a, yeah, it's a slice of, of life, but I also feel like it's, I don't even know how much of this is even true. Like there may be elements yes. of this that are based in reality, but I I came away feeling like this was a weird little fairy tale starring Princess Diana or quote unquote Diana, you know? Yeah, I can't remember the tagline at the beginning. It was like something based on, oh, I should have wrote it down, but it said like a fable or something. Mm. It was very like nondescript, but basically saying not a true story, a, a, a fable based on true events, maybe. That's not what it is, but I'm, I'm just going to go with that sure. for now. Sure, yeah. Um, something to that effect, too. And you're right. It's like, it. I think, like, if, uh, season, was it just season four of The Crown? Whatever the most recent season of The Crown was, was Diana's young life. And I, th- I think there were there were bits of that you know how isolated she felt how trapped she felt how um just alone she was and sort of not she's like a part of the family and not a part of the family because she just didn't fit in and and but it also she fit in really well with the general public too and there's really none of that because she's not she's not out and about she's just in one house for the weekend um yeah. so i i do think there's a little bit of it but like you were saying too it's like if you go into that into this movie expecting I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, I guess like the crown, you're, you're not going to get that because it's, I, I, cause I was, tr- I was thinking, I was like, wouldn't my mom like this movie? Because my mom loves Princess Diana, but I, I don't feel like she would get what she needs out of it. Yeah. I, just to answer your question earlier in terms of taglines, what IMDB says is every fairy tale ends. And so I feel like Ooh. maybe that is that, I don't know if that's ringing a bell, but I do feel like this is a bit of a fairy tale. I mean, certainly, yeah, you know, not to jump all the way to the ending, but like this is a quintessential happily ever after ending. Yeah. And a not so happy movie, I guess, or at least from the perspective that we're given. And it really is her the whole time. Like there's yeah. really not, there's maybe one or two scenes with like, uh, you know, the head chef, um, uh, Darren is his name. Mm-hmm. The movie played by Sean Sean Harris, who looks like so familiar. I don't know where I've seen him before, but um, he was great. And is that the one? Maybe again, I don't know my Royals history, and I, I I'm just a novice at this. But I know it was rumored that Diana, like that that Prince Harry, since he is a redhead, was a result of someone like an affair that she had with maybe one of the staff or something like that, but I don't know if it was Darren or someone else on that. Do you know about that? I, that ring a bell? I don't think it was Darren because he's like been interviewed 
you know, uh, about this movie and about, I guess he has like, you know, he's on, apparently according to the trivia, he's like on YouTube making cooking videos, but I, he, <laughs> he did comment that this was like a pitch perfect Diana. So I don't think, I don't think it's him, mm. but I do feel like I've heard that rumor that like there is somebody yeah. who Harry looks a lot more like some redhead out there. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, what, what that brings up is something I was thinking about was like the idea of like, keeping up with the royals you know and like yes the, the, the dramas with the royals and you know i mean it essentially is like you know keeping up with the real housewives in terms of like yeah it, if you get sucked into that world it all feels so important and all feels so real i know there's some people who are really precious about the royals and royal history and whatnot and i'm i think diana's you know she seems like a great gal but there's something that seems so silly to me about like being really invested in the in the royals, not from a historical point of view, of view, but from a like a Us magazine kind of way. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And it's like you know we're American. We don't we don't have it in the U.S. And but I do feel that there is like a lot of, especially with Diana too, just like the fairy tale. And I I actually did grab that opening line it's it's a uh, the film's opening says a fable from a true tragedy oh that makes at the beginning of the movie that makes but sense. It, it is just that it, it is like this it's tradition like with a capital t and and you know the, that that word is thrown a lot a lot in the crown like the tv show but it is thrown a lot around here that you just you know people have been doing it for so long that it's just that's what it is and it's it's kind of ironic that we're you know we're recording this episode this week too because the queen the queen's got COVID, Colin. Right, right. Yeah, she's got the she's got the royal variant. I mean, you know, listen. Yes. I'm, I hope she's got the the best antibodies in all of the UK. But you know, <laughs> it's it, it is it's it's so much tradition. It's so much ritual. It's so mm -hmm. much just like history and pressure. And I think there's one thing for all of that to kind of happen in front of an audience, you know, the happening at Buckingham palace to be happening. They have some kind of, you know, event that, that, you know, everyone is witnessing because it's just a, it's a pageant, you know? It, yeah. To me, I think the hollowness of it becomes more clear when we see it all happening at a country house in the middle of nowhere, you know? And yes, these people are all just like performing this shit for each other. You know, and yeah, I, I really think that was one of the things this movie really accomplished was like the suffocating energy of this, of just like how fucking stupid it all is, you know? And, and so it doesn't surprise me that maybe the BAFTAs aren't, you know, throwing roses at Spencer because it really, uh, my biggest takeaway, and you know, we really see it in her in that last scene on the scale is like, all of this is stupid. Yeah. Th th when you were saying that they're performing it for each other too, it's like, yeah, they're not they're not in, you know, Buckingham Palace. They're like out in the boonies. And it, it but it sort of goes along the lines of this like horror movie setting. Like it's like the last house on the left. You know what I mean? There's nowhere to go. And there I, I remember in the crown, um, the most recent season, like Diana was talking about how they take your, you know, you take they take your wallet, they take your passport. Like you don't have money. You don't have things because you don't need things. And I mm -hmm. think they're even just that alone the freedom to do what you want would be enough for anyone to go crazy. Whether you have the ability to like compartmentalize, like you have, you know, that, that fight at the pool table with Charles, like there's the public version of you and then there's the real you. Mm -hmm. And I think it really does take a special guy or gal to get that right. And I think it's because Diana was not born into it that it she struggles so much. And who wouldn't? Sure. I mean, because it's such a like... I mean, all of that of the way to, you know, your your sort of decorum and like the, you know, it's this outfit for this occasion and and showing up at this time and doing this and and all of these yes. like stupid little rules that you know that, that you could write a book, a guidebook of how to do all of this. I just find to be, it, like, what is the point of it? You know, it's so like yeah. what what exactly are we doing this for? And and I really, you know, I feel like. Um, I heard, you know, the the infamous Meghan and Harry interview with Oprah. I feel like she yes. was saying similar things of like, yeah, I didn't have access to money. I didn't have access to, you know, my finances directly. You know, it was, uh, it's so like, what are we preserving here? What are we like, what are we maintaining? What is the point of this at this point, you know? Yeah. 
I will say as far as, um, you know, the, the, the sort of traditions that I would be able to achieve in no time would be these gaining three pounds in three days <laughs> situations oh, before. Because that's, yeah, yes, the, the weighing in. Yes, I'm like, oh, my God, this is like a dream. For those of you who haven't seen it, it's this is no spoiler whatsoever. But I mean, we all know that Diana also has uh, had an eating disorder, too. So it's like such a there's that layer added to it as well. But I guess it's a tradition, you know, passed down from someone. I can't remember that um, that you would get weighed in when you first enter the house on Christmas Eve and you are quote unquote supposed to have gained three pounds to prove that you have really enjoyed Christmas. And I, to that, I say challenge accepted. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What if I hit that goal sooner than boxing day? Do we up the ante? What happens (laughs) there? Yeah. Um, I know. Well, I think to, to just, you know, orient folks, anyone who hasn't seen Spencer and not so much to give a synopsis, but I think to give an idea of like, yes, it is, Three days, I think like it's this is like 1991, I think it's supposed to be. And this is, you know, mm-hmm. Christmas Eve, Christmas and Boxing Day. And it is, in some ways, and we can dig into this in a bit, but there are so many ways in which Spencer is really this like tragic royal version of Happiest Season. You know, it's Kristen Stewart Ooh. going to a remote country house. She's got a strange relationship. She's She sees somebody there who she then has a connection with. Maggie. Yeah. Uh, she gets some some uh, advice from the chef, a la Dan Levy. You know, like there's there is just a lot of moments where I was like, you could really <laughs> edit in a trailer for this and as if it was happiest season, you know. Um, but the thing yes. I wanted to point out is like when all of that sounds very lovely. But I think the thing to know is that like the first 15 minutes of the movie is just Diana trying to get to the house. And, yes. and I think that's a detail that I thought to be really important knowing knowing about this going in is like this is some of the shit the movie does. It spends 15 minutes on this on Diana getting lost and trying to find the house. You know, it, it's got a whole mm-hmm. bit with a scarecrow. There's all these things. But I just feel like um I think that tells you almost everything you need to know about Diana is that like this is not about charting a historical moment. This is about watching Diana get lost in the countryside for 15 minutes. <laughs> yes. This movie is like just under two hours. And I I don't know how you feel about it, but even watching her get lost and even all these sort of broad, you know, uh, really wide shots of her just like walking through the countryside and, you know, going up to the scarecrow. I, I wasn't bored by it. Uh, I-, I-, I kind of liked it. I And it-, it really does set that tone from the beginning of uh, where this might be heading, sort of. Like, it's very quiet at the beginning. And then once she gets there, it's... But this is also set up by the music. And maybe this is a good time to talk about it. Um, this score is beautiful and it's like this sort of like jazzy horror score. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like, I think in the subtitles it said discordant music and it's like, is playing and it's like jazz and there's like a trumpet. It sounds like a jazz combo warming up, but in like the creepiest way. And it really, like we were, I was talking about Shiva Baby a little bit ago too. It's, um, it really does add to that tension along with a lot of these like close-up shots of her just like sweating or like in the bathroom or getting dressed. Um, and even like the organ music on Christmas day after church when she's being photographed, it's like you really mm, yeah. feel that and you just want to run. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought the score was so effective and I just feel like this kind of like, you know, messy discordant jazz is oh is so effective as a score in a movie. I feel like it creates so much like um, sort of haywire tension without having to really do anything else. You know, like just putting that music on Diana, kind of like you know, getting kind of you know wobbly eyed at dinner, like just creates such a moment. It was really really effective. Um, there were mo- there were ways in which this kind of even though it's not jazz, I feel like The Shining used classical music in the same way. Yeah. And I feel like uh, I looked at the composer, just a simple Google search here, uh, Johnny Greenwood. I don't know him. He kind of looks like this, like, I don't know, a punk rock <laughs> guy. Oh. But um, but yeah, it's like I would have never guessed that this is the type of score that this movie would have needed. But it so needs it. And it so adds to everything, too. I can't even imagine what like a... Like if it was like a sort of classical like harpsichord situation. And I think 
really what maybe I was this is what I was trying to think of before, too, is like I forgot multiple times that this is like the 80s this is not the 1880s but there's so much of like the movie when she's inside that house that feels so you know like a a different time and obviously there's like the scenery and the clothing and 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 just that the house in general like I get obviously that they're in that house but it really and but then you get to see Diana wearing these like 80s tastic like early 90s sort of like great coats and jeans I want everything she wears Oh my God, those those sweaters! I mean, she just—I loved her in that like, what was that was that a Porsche? You know, that little you know convertible. Oh, yes, with the glasses, yes. with the red block, you know, color blocked sweater or whatever it was. Oh, I, I I totally agree. There's, I think that's something that's really interesting about this is that you could, you and she could easily forget where you know what period of time she's in, and I think that that association with Anne Boleyn really kind of emphasizes that of like, oh my God, like essentially you and I have been the same woman walking these halls, you know, just in different clothing, you know? Um, I do want to just mention, uh, speaking of Johnny Greenwood, uh, he is, we have inadvertently talked about him on this podcast before. Um, This (gasps) is a pretty big year for him because he is also the composer uh, for The Power of the Dog. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, Johnny. Right? I mean, like, which was also an amazing score. And, yes. Uh, and apparently he also did the score for I, I, a squirrel friend's favorite. We need to talk about Kievan. <laughs> oh, ooh, that's such a Johnny Greenwood movie. Now that I know uh-huh. Johnny's type. Yes. It yes. looks like, uh, yeah, I guess I think he was a part of Radiohead is what I'm putting together. Yeah, looks yeah. like it. So, uh, so there you go. That's... Uh, you know, not too shabby, but um, yeah. but yeah. Well, in, just to kind of give some best supporting actress context here. Obviously, yes. we're going to talk about Kristen Stewart. I have a lot of thoughts on her, but I did want to mention, you know, early as possible, Miss Sally Hawkins. And really, I think, you know, if there was a BSA role in this movie, she would have it as, I guess, yes. this a a dresser of of Diana's mm-hmm. named Maggie. Yeah, it's like there's a theory I have that like she doesn't really even exist, especially yeah. like at that one scene too where I loved that scene when she comes back. I'm jumping way ahead right now, but I love Sally Hawkins as an actress. I think that she was like I don't know who won the year of Blue Jasmine cuz basically she's like the Kim Hunter of Blue Jasmine. Yes, she you know is. what I mean? Yep. Mm-hmm. And I thought she was fucking fantastic and i have not seen the shape of water i know she's probably brilliant in it um i just feel like she's always one of those actresses who i'm always happy to see and uh you know it goes for this movie as well well i'm looking up right now she lost to uh lupita nyong'o Ooh, that's tough that's yeah. a tough one um yeah and the shape of water i'm sure we've talked about before but i will never see yeah. it because of the that's right the, cat eating dog. situation or cats sorry um yeah. she was in oh there was another movie i saw that she starred in that i really loved and i have to lean into my computer really close because i don't have my glasses on oh i think it was happy go lucky that if you oh. like sally hawkins oh my god i remember seeing that and just swooning i think that uh I know you've got a list. You might want to put it on that list. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, 2008. Yeah. But she, it, it's similar to uh, the character of Seema on, and just like that, where, I, yeah, I am convinced that Maggie's a ghost. I don't know if Maggie is a real person, <laughs> yes. but she is in what I did here. You know, I like the idea that she's a ghost, but apparently Maggie is based on an actual person, but that is confidential apparently on who that actual person uh-huh. is. But I think that all the more, you know, in in maybe that's true, but I feel like in this in this fable, this fairy tale and whatnot, it, it makes sense to me in a movie where Diana is seeing ghosts already. Yes. Why wouldn't this woman who, you know, is a friendly ghost but appears in her life as a ghost? And I don't think interacts with anybody else in the movie yeah she just kind of shows up whenever diana most needs her 
I guess it's like even from that first entrance, she like comes, she comes down the hallway with like that clothing rack and they talk in this like hushed whisper. Like they're like old war buddies. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. just like, it's, I see your back and like, yes, I'm here. And like, just like very hushed private conversations. And, uh, but like, she's kind of there as this, she really is like Diana's outlet to the outside world, or at least like a confidant in any way, because there's no one else she can talk to. Yeah, I mean, there's one of the maids mentions like, oh, you know, she was sent back to London. But I I feel like maybe there is a deeper meaning to that. Maybe she was sent back to London years ago. You know, like I it really I agree. I feel like she is like Diana's imaginary friend. her, her, you know, uh, you know, sort of. I don't know, uh, her her comfort. What do I want to call this? Her, you know, like Linus has the blanket. She's got Maggie. Yeah, you know? security blanket. Security yes, blanket. Yes. Thank you. Oh, my God. If this was $25,000 pyramid, we would be very rich right now. <laughs> I And so she, I think she appears in the movie in maybe four scenes. There's like the first scene when she brings Diana the dress and they, they first mm-hmm. see each other. And it's, you know, she's the Aubrey Plaza character of Happiest Season. And then... Yes. Uh, and then they have that very intimate conversation at the um, uh, the vanity, which has that great trick with the mirrors, where you're kind of seeing yes, each of them. Yes, love that shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then she apparently gets sent away to London, and kind of to our point, she has a scene where she imagines Maggie, you know, coming to her, and then she realizes that it's just the old nurse. So, I I think we're right about this. I'm gonna say we're onto something here. I think so too. It's like the really the only other person she mentions Maggie to is Charles in that like billiard room scene. But again, I think like Charles might know who that is, but like he doesn't have any power nor does he want Maggie to return either too. And even the way that she like wakes up in bed that morning, it and and Maggie is there and you know the the trip to the beach because there's so much of what Maggie says that is like I mean, she's Diana's cheerleader, too, but it's also like what any person would sort of try to say to themselves, you know, like, don't behave the way they want you to behave or they say you behave. You make it easy for them. You know, you are, you know, you have you have the power here. It's like you just need to pull yourself together, which, you know, I'm sure Diana was repeating like on loop to herself without Maggie. So, yeah. Right. We see, you know, Diana having to give herself pep talks of like, okay, just three days, just three days. But yeah, yeah. I mean, she basically is empowering Diana the whole time. And then I think mm-hmm. kind of to that point, if we're going to go with this, that really maybe Maggie is the opposite of Diana's inner saboteur. You know, she's her inner cheerleader. Then there's this scene where, yeah, as you said, she, Diana wakes up and Maggie is there <clears throat> right next to her as she's sleeping. And Diana says, are you real? And then they go to the beach and Maggie reveals, she says, you probably have to fire me, which I think is fire me. You know, I think about that. Like, you know, at some point you might have to let me go. Um, You'll probably have to fire me. But um, for telling you this, but like, I've always been in love with you. And don't worry. I don't, you don't. I'm an adult. It's fine. I know you don't love me like that. But, you know, granted, she drives the car away later and who knows what that's about. But I think in this magical fable, Maggie might represent some kind of like, um, yeah, some some inner strength or something like that. You know what what Diana yeah. needs to hear at the time. It's like she almost knows too much. She's like, I know that you know uh, Charles bought the same kind of pearls for Camilla. Like I already knew. Like she knew that walking into the room in yeah. that first scene or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how do you know that? I just really love this performance. It's like again, I I wanted more. I wish we would have got more. But there's so much of. I think what I loved most watching Sally Hawkins in this role is just watching her listen to Diana. Mm. She's like such a good active listener and like the way that she sometimes turns her head away. I think that was like in the car or something. And I was like, that's such a great choice because like when you're in movies, when you're listening to someone, you just kind of lock eyes and, you know, but like when you're, you know, in real life, you're looking around, you're fidgeting, you're doing other things. I just, I really am always so impressed with her and I, I wish we would have got more, but I'm, I'm glad we got what we got, if that all makes sense. I agree. I think, I think the beach scene was really a relief because not only, like, we get to see kind of Diana finally relax and, and, you know, stop mm-hmm. being quite so emo about things. But I feel like Maggie, I mean, and to Sally Hawkins credit, like just what she did like how naturally I couldn't tell if this was improv the way she was doing some of these lines of like, 
you know, uh, about her being shocked and, you know, uh, yes. Yeah. It's like, and which is, you know, just think of all the times I've seen you naked, you know, like there's just, there's a real like banter between them. That is such a relief for us and for Diana. And it wasn't maybe until that where this really Mm kind of clicked for me. Like, to be honest, I, it took me a while to kind of adjust to this movie. And like, yeah, there are moments where I was like, this is, is this dumb? And by the end of it, I was like, no, 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 this isn't dumb at all. But (laughs) I really think that scene was just kind of like, it was almost like the reward for getting through so many kind of more opaque scenes, more like really kind of heavy moments. Then we get this very human moment between Maggie and Diana. And I was like, ugh. Thank you. I just needed one of these. Yeah, I feel like the movie does not work without Maggie for as little we see her because it really is the shift in the tide, pun intended, Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, the tide's going out. She's able to, like, take control of her life and have, for the first time in the movie, at least from what we can see, like, clarity. And not just, like, clarity disguised as, like insanity in a way you know because there comes a point when anyone kind of loses or thinks they've lost power where they just really you know it's like that gif you sent me of like that girl throwing her groceries against the wall what was that oh from? yeah uh, possession <laughs> right right possession yeah but i i get that it's like you you just give up hope i guess and i think that whole conversation was really kind of getting her her wits about her for lack of a better word and i'm so glad that maggie was that uh I don't know, the catalyst. Yeah, and I, I feel like even her very last, the last scene we, last moment we see of, of Maggie is through the window watching Diana drive away with the boys in a very, like, 80s, you know, like, romantic comedy kind of ending. And she just has this, yes. like, proud look through the window that's like, only ghosts watch people through windows like this, you know? Yes, with plenty of bars on those windows, might yeah. I add, too. Yes, yes, yes. I... Yeah, so, you know, Maggie the ghost. Maggie the ghost, and thank God. You know, another, I guess, sort of ghost that haunts this movie, or an, an element that I I can't figure out what I think of, but the scarecrow. So, early in the movie, in the 15 yes. minutes of, of Diana trying to find the house... She comes across, I guess, the field, you know, near where she used to live. And there's an old scarecrow there, you know, that's been there all her life. And it's wearing, I guess, one of her father's old coats. And Mm -hmm. so she, you know, she takes the coat from the scarecrow and brings it back to the house and and then puts it on a mannequin, you know, thing or whatever, a a form and a dress form and uh, occasionally chats with it. I mean, you're just like. Okay, okay. I feel like on paper this is tricky to sell. Um, and then at the very end, I mean that you know it's like Act One, scare, Act One Gun Scarecrow. Then at the very end, we see that she puts her yellow, you know, her Boxing Day dress or whatever on the Scarecrow instead. And I guess my question is, what do you think this Scarecrow is all about, or is this just to keep it weird? Yeah, I mean, that was the one thing, even watching the second time, I was like, okay, I do, there are some things that are, I, and I don't think, there's. it's somewhere between, like, spoon-feeding it to us and, like, beating us over the head with it. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, we get it, this is a representation of her past, because there's a lot of talk about past, present, and future. Like, the kids say it, she says it, you know, it's just kind of this ongoing conversation i guess and you know she misses her past she grabs the dad's coat and yeah i mean i think she's just so wrapped up in that that that's that's those are the lengths that she goes to she has the coat wash she's talking to it she wants to go back to her house she eventually goes back and i think it's you know her putting that dress on the scarecrow is just like I really can't think of it any other way than just like, you know, moving forward and like I'm hanging this up and, you know, uh, it, it, it almost I'm glad they didn't do this, but it almost seemed like she would have wore her dad's coat when she got into that convertible at the end. You know what I mean? Just like, mm-hmm. but that would have then I would have been like, ugh, man. And, and there's other parts, too, like that I actually really liked um with like the necklace and just like the symbolism of almost like a collar you know what i mean she's just like she's stuck in this and i'm Mm -hmm. like is this is this too much like we get it also but i did like i think it's done in such a cool like 
artsy sort of way that like when, when she ate the pearls, I loved that. <laughs> so right, like, right. I think there's certain things to be forgiven, but that that's going back to this character. That's what I thought. What, what about you? Is it just, are you still figuring it out or? Well, I think that like I, she does eventually wear her father's coat when she goes to stop the, the shooting thing. Um, so she, oh, so I she, did not notice. Yeah. That. that was her wearing the like, cause I think she asked Maggie to like get it tailored and cleaned up and whatnot and so yes she yes, was yes. wearing it in that big scene of like you're gonna have to shoot me um i feel like yeah it i think you're absolutely right i think it's it's a mix of like subtle hints and like really heavy-handed things and this was a very yes. heavy-handed like reclaiming spencer and putting yes. you know this character of diana you know treating it you know when you think of a scarecrow you think of like old clothes that you don't need anymore. You know what I mean? You just think of like, it's such a like, you know, uh, yeah, this is what this means to me. And I'm sure there's an even deeper thing of like, in what way was Diana just a scarecrow or a, you know, whatever. But that's that's where it's like, oh, I don't, there are so many, I saw this on IMDb. There's like nine or 10 Diana movies and mini series throughout the years. Like there are so many that like, I like I'm sure one of them can go deep on the imagery. I'm okay with this one just being a weird movie where Diana decides to make a scarecrow out of her old dress at the end. You know what I mean? There's also that yeah. of like like to your point about the pearls. I think the whole pearls bit of her eating eating them out of the soup and all that is nutso. It probably mm-hmm. has a meaning. I'm sure it ties yeah. to the eating disorder and everything else, but I also sure. just love it being this nutso thing that happens, you know? Yes. Yeah, with like soup all over her mouth and I loved it. I was yeah. like, yes, give me that give me that black swan sort of moment. Right? Cuz I just think if you're not going to go nutso with this, then how is this any different than the eight or nine other ones, you know? Um Yeah. You know, uh this this is a random thought and I I this is there, I'm hoping there's maybe one person out there that knows this reference, maybe even you. I don't think we've talked about this ever. But yeah. the the coat on the dress form and like the talking to it and everything, what it makes me think of is there was this reality show from like the early 2000s because I remember watching it in college, but it was called Starting Over. Are you familiar? Oh, no. Starting Over I wish that I was. was uh, it was like – Five women. They had a couple seasons, but like there were probably like three okay. seasons. And I think the second one had couples. And then the third season, maybe there's four. This does not matter. But essentially, five women move into a house together. There's there's a doc. There's like two therapists. There's this guy. There's this other Dr. Rhonda something. I can't remember what her last name is. And then there's Ian Levanzan. Ah. <gasps> And oh, it's it, go on. And so it's all of these 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 women have had you know divorce and trial childhood issues and all these like deep traumas. One girl, her I think her father or mother passed away during nine eleven. I mean, it was just like all Whoa. of them had stuff. The, the whole idea is they live in this house and they work on their shit. And they each each episode is watching them kind of do different kind of tasks and things that kind of relate to them working through their traumas. You know. And it's a lot of women crying. It's a, it's amazing. I would do anything to track this show down. You would flip your lid. You would love this show so much. It is. I. It sounds great. Uh, is that that's not the the show where like not on my watch. Like hand slap on table. It is that I think is Ayanla Ayanla Van Zandt's Fix My Life. Um, oh yeah. So it's not right. from that, but not it is on my watch. It's a similar vibe. Ayanla is amazing on starting over, but. Uh, I bring all this up because Jill had this dress form that had all these clothes and bags on it up in the attic of the house named Miss Mabel. And every time she'd like work through one of her issues, she got to take one of the things off of Miss Mabel, you know. Uh, and so Whoa. I know that that was a very long journey to talk about Miss Mabel, no, a reference it. that nobody knows. But it was more so because I wanted you to know about starting over. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure some of our listeners, you never know. Yeah. People, uh... One of them could uh, be listening. Any, yeah. Yeah. Ayanla, she might be listening. Oh, on my watch. On my watch. <laughs> on my watch. Speaking of slapping tables, I'm so conflicted about this sort of slapping of the pool table. What did you... F- I will say, like, before you answer that, 
one of the best parts. This trailer is one of my favorite trailers of like 2021 going into 2022. I I think it's a, a like a pitch perfect trailer. And like there is this build up to her like slapping the pool table. And then like this new song starts. And it's like this like choral version of like, I, I don't know. It's like maybe it's like Pani Sangelicus or something like that. I can't remember. But um you know, that's like the scene. That's like where she sort of gets frustrated. But it, it is this sort of like bratty moment where like, I want a golden goose now, but like you're on Diana's side. What did you think of that? I I feel like that was that was at a point in the movie where I think I drifted a little bit. And I That's okay. Uh I mean I watched it, but I was like up at, I think there was this part of me that up to that like maybe just at that scene where I was like, I need for lack of a you better need something, thing, I need something to happen. Um, yeah. And I think that maybe at that point, like I, I, I want to preface this by saying that like I 110% plan on watching this again. This very much is rewarded by a second viewing. I could tell. Um, and yes, you have could probably say better than I have. Yeah. Seeing you've seen it twice. Um, so I feel like that scene, you know what it was? I probably wanted that scene to be, you know, I want, I want you to yell. I want you to make noise, you know? Um, yeah. And so I, because at, at that point there was a lot of like Kristen Stewart being like, I just need to, to feel something. You know, it was like a lot of like yes. just that kind of like, I guess it could be me. You know, it was a lot of that. And I think I just wanted what she finally gave us at the end you know, with the shooting, with the shooting scene. Um, so the pool table scene is is one of the ones that I have to go back and uh, watch a second time. Yeah, I'd say even on my second watch too, it's like, that's what I got out of it too. It's like, because everything about, I think that's one of the things why a lot of people, including myself, are sort of attracted to period pieces too, because it's, you know, it's just the juxtaposition of like, everyone has to hold it together because that's what you have to do, especially with the royal family. So seeing that unravel is really satisfying for, you know, in real life, you know, when we, when you see, you know, all the Meghan Markle stuff that's going on, like every, you know, that Oprah interview was like, everyone watched that. Not Mm -hmm. everyone, but you know, people were into it because they love seeing the drama. But in in a way, yeah, I, I, I wanted her to like throw that ball at his head. Like I wanted her to break a glass. Did you recognize a very unfortunate last name? uh, Jack Farthing, um, as Charles was Joe in The Lost Daughter. He played Jesse Buckley's husband. Oh, I did not put yes. that together. Well, how do you like that? Yeah, uh, I forgot to mention that when we during last week. But uh, yeah, so I was glad to see him again. All what right. a transformation. Um, yeah, because yes. really, I mean, to your point, I think other than Kristen Stewart, who we'll talk about, and Sally Hawkins, I mean, the only other person I really honestly, I think, recognized... Probably just because I've seen him before, but like couldn't tell you where it was Timothy Spall. Yeah, he's he's around. I mean, if 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 you don't know Timothy Spall, I feel like who would he be in like America? You know oh, let's I mean? see. Like, that's I'm sort of I'm because he's got. You know what it is. You know what's interesting about Timothy Spall is I feel like there is a there's a weird way if you look at him that he looks like this very hangdog, slimmer version of John Candy. Sure. Does that I read totally to you at all? See that. Yes, exactly. Because he, I feel like he's always had a little bit of like a belly and I feel like he trimmed down for this too. Yeah, he would definitely be like a bloodhound if he was a yes. dog. You know what yes. I mean? It's very bloodhound qualities. And the, and the John Candy of it all is very, you know, it's behind a very, it's like if John Candy was wearing a hound dog mask, you know? Uh, yes. And was much skinnier. So in some ways he's nothing like John Candy uh, and doesn't give off that energy at all. But it's, he is so like I can't imagine him ever not looking like this. You know what I mean? Um, yep. And I also feel like, you know, and I don't mean this to be shady, but it's kind of like stereotypical. This is what British people look like. You know what I mean? Where it's just yeah. like there's just these very kind of like this is what people in those old port like royal family portraits looked like you know um mm-hmm. there's just something about it where like yeah he is perfect for period pieces because he just looks like that is the era that he is always in so it's in fact kind of weird yes. to see him in something from the 20th century yeah i mean for those of you 
I'm imagining all the UK listeners, you know who Timothy Spall is, but like uh, for all the Harry Potter fans, he played Peter Pettigrew. Uh, He was also in Sweeney Todd. He played the Beatle. And then there was uh, in 2014, I remember it was like, he was maybe like in the, I mean, I know that like, maybe you didn't hear about this movie, but I just remember it. Uh, It's called Mr. Turner, where he was like, you know, it was the performance of his career. And he played like he was the leading man, which he often is not. And like, there was like a, a, like this sort of last, last minute, like push and swell for him to get a nominated for an Oscar. But like, he didn't get in there, which was sad because I feel like he is like, he's very popular. Like you've seen him in other movies. He was also in, I'm looking through his IMDb, Vanilla Sky. I've not seen that, but um, you know, hats off to you, Timothy Spall. I feel like, you know, even him in this movie is just, it's an interesting dynamic too, because he, he's not normally at the castle during the castle. I guess it is sort of a castle uh, yeah. during Christmas. And he's kind of just like negging Diana from afar, but he's the one who planted the book and yeah. um, kind of looking out for her in this way, but kind of not. There's um, something kind of ghostly about him too. Yeah. He's yeah. A- he would have scared. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, there's just like you could there's a lens where it's like, wait, does anyone else ever interact with him? You know? Yeah. He would have scared the shit out of me in that freezer. I'll tell you that. Oh, my secret door on the other side. That freezer, though, Colin, I would have eaten everything. Well, let me tell you, you know, because the food, the menu is certainly a topic. They they do spend a good period of time more than once listing off a menu. And the thing is. Sometimes they go through this stuff and I'm like, gross, gross, ew, what the hell is a cloudberry sauce? Ew, what's bread <laughs> sauce? Ew, what is this? Like, why is there so much fruit in all of the dessert? You know, it's just yes. like things like yes. that. Where I'm like, no, no, that sounds gross. And pudding. I just, yes. uh, that's my only downside is that it all looked beautiful in that, in that freezer. But when they would like talk through the menu, I was like, oh God, I'll just have bread, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I see that. I I also see that. I I would there's certain parts and maybe this is like a fun little game to play too, but like there's certain parts of this that I would love. I would love to just have food made for me every day and it's really like the like even watching those crates being opened at the beginning and like the lobsters and like these beautiful oh. fruits and vegetables. I was like, "Oh my god." But also again, the flip side of that's like, "What a waste." You know what I mean? Like, why do these people get the like the best of the best of the best? It's uh but you know, that's another conversation, but would you I guess you kind of answered the food thing, but like I feel like you would also love to have food of your choice cooked for you every day well let me tell you i would love that and if it included a stop by that little that little diner for the award-winning fish and chips that they had on the sign on the wall i was like yes now i'm interested i can get together with like a really good fish and chips that's in the newspaper like wrapped in a newspaper oh forget it i love fish and chips like that is something you know, I kind of have standards, you know, not standards in the sense of like ratings or anything like that. My, my standard order in a restaurant where I don't know what to order yep. is going to be the fish and chips or maybe a Reuben. <laughs> I, I don't know if you have like, I know it's wild, but every once in a while, I really love a Reuben. Ugh, oh, my God. It I combines have... everything I love. Oh, I hate to derail us on a Reuben, but let's go for it. <gasps> because I I don't know if actually, Gasp. I don't know if I've ever even actually had one. I'm I'm intimidated by Reubens. Okay, let me walk you through it. Thank because you. I, I, I think that they're, you know, this is, a, this, this, this is what we come here for. Yeah, it's like really. Nicole Kidman and AMC. This is what we come here yes, for. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, this is the magic of uh, it all. Yes. I, I think that there is a fine line between too much corned beef... You know, end of sentence. Sometimes if the corned beef is a little too gamey, it can really ruin the Reuben for me. I don't mind a little bit of fat on meat, but um, I think there's a certain desired thickness where it just becomes too much. Mm. But I love a rye bread. Mm -hmm. Uh, Usually comes on like a marble rye situation. Usually it's Swiss cheese. And I love a like a what 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 do we call it like a a thousand island dressing uh-huh, uh-huh. even though on paper it's not just like relish ketchup and mayo or something it's not appetizing but it, yeah it's better not to know i think what's in yeah thousand i island. think so too yeah, yeah the special yeah. sauce of mickey d's um, right and uh sauerkraut is on it and 
this is gonna this is gonna throw you over the edge oh, maybe no. but um oh, no. i i typically i don't drown it in it i but i do dip a little bit of it in ketchup oh you are I'm, a criminal <laughs> You're a criminal. <laughs> and I know I'm like the only person in the world who does it. But like, I love it with a side of fries. Um, it's the perfect sandwich in my mind. Well, besides the ketchup, does that sound appealing to you? Or are you just like, pass? I mean, you know, I think one of the things about the Reuben is that like, it has the color palette of like a 70s kitchen. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. just oranges and browns and... It's a little it, pink in there. A little yeah. pink in there. It's just oh, like... that's good. It's so ugly you know and it's called a reuben you know i mean it's just like the curb appeal of the reuben is really i think it's problem um i i think that i don't know what i think of sauerkraut i think that's what it comes down to okay yeah i feel like um when i was younger you know my mom would make like kibasi and sauerkraut and uh and i don't say kielbasa i say kibasi because i (gasps) Because uh, I say things wrong, I say croissant. I say I say pasta fazool. I feel like that's something. Uh, but I know I say I say it wrong. Um, but I just always hated the smell of it. Oh, I just hated the smell when she'd make that with the fennel seeds. Ugh. And so I just think that <laughs> that just did it for me. You know? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of things about that. Number one, I was just talking about this on the Good Vanilla maybe three weeks ago about how I thought I was the only person in the world, like in this subset of like Western Pennsylvania slash Pittsburgh that said Kabasi oh. because I, I also say Kabasi and oh. I remember I went to college, which is, you know, uh, you know, an hour north of Pittsburgh, but I said Kabasi for the first time in my, not all of my friends, but some of my friends were like, what did you just say? Because everyone, I'd say the majority of people say Kilbasa, which sounds crazy to me. To say it that way. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I, I was, got, well, I feel very validated right now because I was, because you're Polish, right? So I feel like. Uh, Russian, Polish, Russian, yes. Russian, Polish. Yeah, I, just, yeah, I yeah. felt like you had a nationality back there that there was a grandma who knew how to say it correctly. And, and are we saying it wrong? Sure. I don't know because it really doesn't, you know, we are, you know, we, I don't know. We also call bologna jumbo over here yeah. in Pittsburgh. So what do I know? Yeah. It's, it, it's a lot, but I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you are, you know, on this podcast, in this house, it is Kabasi. Uh, yeah, Kabasi. The house of BSA. Yeah. And and I, I think fennel seeds have no no place in sauerkraut. Get rid of it. I, I don't think that's like, that is, ugh, yeah. I agree with you on that. I don't know what she was doing. I don't know. This woman's crazy. So No, I think it's common, but yeah. Yeah. So food. yeah, so I think that really maybe, but you know, if somebody listen, here's the deal. When I come to visit Pittsburgh, maybe, yeah. maybe you could like slice off a corner and I could have a bite, and <laughs> or I'll just order my own goddamn Reuben and we'll give it a go and we'll see what happens. But yes, um, all right. I mean, so okay. So just to keep us honest, when I come to Pittsburgh, I'm going to have a Reuben with you, and we are also yes. going to go estate sales slash Goodwilling. And I feel like there was yeah. another food thing. You there was about. another food thing. I'm just you trying went to somewhere what... with oh, some people. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, sheets. Sheets. We're going to go to sheets. We're going to sheets and get our pants. A, yeah. An MTO, a schmegel or a schmuffin, um, or the pretzel roll. Really is. The, yeah. That's the queen. Yeah, a sheets that's pretzel the, yeah. roll. So, all right. Well. Uh, watch the space, Great. folks. Watch the space. <laughs> uh, you know, I think all this talk of Rubens really brings us to the piece de resistance. Uh, Kristen Stewart as Diana. Yes. And now this is your pick now for best actress for the Oscar. Is that correct? I think if I'm really thinking hard about it, yeah, I think I, and I, I also, we were talking about, or maybe I was thinking about this earlier too. If, this movie came out when The Lost Daughter came out. I think it would be an entirely different conversation. I feel that like with this, you know, we've always talked about timing of movies that this it was all that anyone was talking about for the longest time and then the dust sort of settled and now it's like Kristen Stewart got in there by the grace of God somehow. I mean, not somehow because I do think it's deserved and I think really my rationale or just like in defense of her is what I've already kind of said on the podcast leading up to this is that the bar was set so low because I've really only seen her in Twilight and that's it. Like not even, I, I didn't see the the Julianne Moore movie that she won her Oscar for. Oh, still, still Alice. Alice. I know she yeah. played her daughter. I mean, I've seen Happiest Season. I liked her in that. But I thought the dialect work was perfect. 
I, I, I yeah. just really was, I kind of fell in love with her for like two hours. And I, I think that all of her choices that she was making, yeah, were there some times where I felt like, you know, her corset was too tight and she, I was like, okay, I get it. You feel trapped. You're hyperventilating. Yes. Um, but overall, a complete transformation. I really, really liked her in this movie and she has my votes. Yeah, I, I, it's not that I don't think she was great, and I, I think this would be such an interesting role to win for. It's interesting that this was directed by the same guy who directed Jackie. Yes, um, Pablo. Uh, yes, and and you know that Natalie Portman obviously was nominated as well because I think of these mm-hmm. as very much sisterly performances. You know, yeah. And I, I remember having a similar feeling with Jackie, where I was like, this is. It's different from how I usually measure, like, a Best Actress performance. This isn't, like, you know, I mean, really, like, the Reuben of actresses, Frances McDormand. You know what I mean? <laughs> She's full yes. of sauerkraut. You know that. Yes. You know, check the extra, writer. Extra anise. Yes. Oh, what was it? Extra, uh, caraway. Extra well, I don't fennel. Know. Extra fennel. Fennel, yes. Yeah, yeah. She's fucking <laughs> emerald fennel. Yeah, she's... <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, there's something there. Yes, yes. Um, but uh, I, I feel like... I have to judge this performance differently or really it kind of brought up the question that I wanted to bring to this podcast of like, we kind of have a thesis of what it means for like a best supporting actress performance, you know, maximizing Mm -hmm. possibilities within, you know, uh, limited, you know, capacity or limited screen time and whatnot. There's a thing, there's a moment that happens. I think to use Sally Hawkins in this movie, for example, I think, the beach scene and the kind of like teasing Diana moment and all of that. And, and don't worry, I'm an adult. I can handle this. That to me was the BSA moment of like, Oh my God, you just brought so much in such a little period of time to this movie, you know? Yep. And so my question is, what do you think? This is, and it's a big question of blobbing at you with no preparation. So if you don't have an answer, it's something for us to think about. Um, But when we think about like, okay, well, what, what rings out as a best actress performance? If we kind of know what the best supporting actress frequency is, what's the best actress frequency? I think if I was to, it's a great question and I'm going to try to answer it to the, to the best of my ability. But, you know, we talked about, you know, the quote that I can never remember, like maximizing the possibilities with limited time. That's not Uh what it is, but you know, a, a supporting actress, you know, there's different, you know, there's Anita and West Side Story, and then there's Beatrice Strait and Network, you know, two mm-hmm. totally different performances as far as like screen time. To me, I think that there has to be, you know, it's, you hear that inside baseball term of like number one on the call sheet, you know what I mean? Of just right. like uh, dictating the the set, you know, on set behind the scenes, but also like, I think there has to be a certain amount of number one, of course, there's talent too, but I, I to me, this is a true lead actress performance. I think of, you know, I think of Frances McDormand in Nomadland. It's like, it is, that's all you see is her. And to me, for me in this movie, I never got tired of her. I never was like waiting for her to leave the screen. And like, you know, even though I was always happy to see Sally Hawkins, it was just an extension of Kristen Stewart. That that's kind of where I'll stop. How about that? Well, I think that that's <laughs> I think one because you know we're we're due to honor the quote from God bless Stinky Lulu. Uh, it's all about appropriate proportions with maximum possibilities. I don't know why that's so hard to remember. Um, yeah. And so I think using that, let's use that as a framework of like what are the appropriate proportions and what are the po- maximum possibilities for the best actress? Because I think. The difference with Best Supporting Actress is it's like, well, you have, you know, limited screen time. You have to work with the proportions, you know. But mm-hmm. I think kind of what you're saying with, like, this role, for example, with Kristen Stewart in Spencer, I feel like the proportion is so huge that yeah. of which that she is this movie. And what is she doing with all that screen time? Is it feeling like, oh, God, show me somebody else? You know, are we intrigued the whole time, no matter what she's doing? And I feel like I really like this as an Oscar nominee, even winner, because I feel like it's not until the end of the movie that you realize, like, oh, my God, she's been carrying every second of this movie. Mm-hmm. And, like, very intricately. I think it's it's not um, 
it's not as obvious as a more bombastic performance. It's not as obvious as, and you know, I love the bombastic ones, but for example, one that we've talked about, Marion Cotillard in uh, yeah. uh, Le Vian Rose. I feel like that is a classic. She fucking does everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She sings, she cries, she dances, she laughs, she ages, she fucks, she dies. It, she does everything. And whereas in this, it's this like weird three days in the country and she spends 15 minutes of it lost in the car, you know? Mm-hmm. And yet by the end, it was like... Yeah, I don't know. I there was something about it where I and I haven't put my finger on it yet, but there's something about this performance where I'm like, yeah, it. I think what it comes down to is, it would be really cool if this won an Oscar. I think that's what it comes down to. You know, like some mm-hmm. performances, it would just be so cool if that won. Yeah, and I think even on first watch, like I would not disagree. You know, even if you said like. Does she maximize? It's it's almost like flipping the quote. It's like maximum proportions with appropriate. What was the second half of it? Uh, proportions. Oh wait, how did I do so it? So the original quote is: "It's appropriate proportions with maximum possibilities." So perhaps it's oh maximum proportions with appropriate possibilities. Right? Yes. Yeah, maybe maximum there's that. proportions yeah. with appropriate possibilities. So she has. The maximum of proportions. Is she using <laughs> all of the appropriate yes, possibilities? Yes, well tempered. Yes, yeah. and and I don't know if that's necessarily even her fault. Like, because like you said, it it's ninety five percent of the movie, maybe even ninety eight percent of the movie is her just kind of, you know, it's the boiling kettle, you know, or mm-hmm. the pot or whatever you want to use to. And it's it's not necessarily her fault because it's the way that she's she's figuring it out. She's trying desperately to get out of a situation without being noticed in a way you know she's she's trying to hop the fence she gets caught she tries to go to her old house and you know has an hallucination and comes back you know but i think it's not until the end there where you can like you said you you really see what the what that potential is i guess in the character and also with Kristen stewart as well too and i think this is the challenge that i had watching the crown and i think this goes back to what we've talked about is like you can't have too many of like you can't have these like yeah. bombastic moments. You can't have these big Oscar real moments because you're dealing with a world and with people that have to behave with a certain decorum. And so mm-hmm. it is really only in like this fantasy moment. I assume this is not based in reality where she like walked in the middle of the field and was like, you're going to have to shoot me. I'm taking the kids. I, yeah. I don't, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, folks, but, you know, I I don't believe that happened word for word. And so it's interesting that only in the most like fantastical moments of this movie does she ha- does she show that level of humanity, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you bring up a good question. Does she maximize the possibilities? I don't know, but I think that might be what's kind of intriguing about this is that it's not Tony Collette and hereditary. It's not full tilt boogie, but like every once in a while she'll crash into a lamp while she's stumbling to the bathroom, you know? So I don't know, but I, I, I had read in the trivia that like a lot of people who knew Diana were like, this is the best performance of Diana. Mm -hmm. And some of that could be some Oscar marketing, but I, I tend to believe that. Yeah. That, she's getting, you know, accurate press. And I think that's, I think her body language, it probably on second or third watch, there's probably a lot in her body language and how she, you know, how she carries her shoulders and how she walks and whatnot. There's probably little details there that are like incredible character work that maybe I'm just not as familiar with actual Diana to kind of see that work, you know? Yeah, I agree. I wonder, cause you know, I, I myself, don't really have a, a good frame of ref- a reference. You know, Emma Corrin in The Crown is is great, and I I think she looks a lot like Diana, even more so than Kristen Stewart. Um, but with this, you know, it's not it's not like Nicole Kidman is Lo- Lucille Ball. You know what I mean? Like it mm. really is. It re- and I I I mean, <clears throat> this is a spoiler alert for the best supporting after show. But I watched Being the Ricardos this week, so oh. we're gonna talk about it. Wow. Oh, well, yeah, so if you're not signed up for Patreon now. <laughs> this is the week to do it. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. But I, 
as much as I hate saying it, like it, you really have to have at least some, you know, resemblance to the character you're playing too. You know, like Natalie Portman was perfect. I think Kristen Stewart is, you know, they're both equally, they both equally look, look like the character that they were playing. And I, 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 it does make a difference. It does. So it does. And, and I think it's also like, even if you don't look exactly like them, I think there's certain affectations and there's certain new nuances and quirks and ways of speaking that I think show the homework. It's like, okay, so you don't have the same nose as Diana. Who cares? You know? Yeah. Like if there's a certain way of expressing, you know, uh, something that'd be exactly how she would do it. Then who cares about the nose? You know? Yeah. She was really channeling her. Uh, Hey, you know, (laughs) Leslie Stahl. Drag race quotes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Leslie Stahl, right? Yeah. She was really channeling her. Yes. Um, well, did you have any other thoughts on the the Royals? That's not what this is. On uh, whatever this movie's called, Spencer. Spencer. Uh, Spencer. I, anything uh, else before you know the the orchestra kicks in? Before the the jazzy orchestra kicks in? I know we should we should jazz it up this week. Right? Uh, my last note that I I wanted to mention. This is so tiny and stupid, but I loved the shower. <gasps> oh I my loved god! The shower. Thank you. I had the same yes. note. That fucking shower was incredible. Oh. I would never leave. It, no. it was like, and it, and I love that it sort of looked like arms wrapping around her at the yeah. same time too. Like even when she's like showering, there's still like this sort of like cage around her. I loved it. Yeah. Oh, I, I fully agree. I'm glad you mentioned that. The shower was yeah. like, you know, it was like, Best you know supporting what? Shower. Being a royal ain't half bad, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know what the orchestra picked. I'll find out later when I edit the episode, but we are definitely being played off right now. Of course. So, uh, other than the best sporting after show with this being the you know what's bombshell, where yeah. can folks find more of you? They can find me on my other podcast, The Good Vanilla, talking about Kabasi. Uh, mm. They can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Nick Kochanov. How about you, Colin? Well, you can find me on my other two podcasts, In the Details, A Celebration of Nuance, or All Right Mary, talking about season 14 and UK versus the world of Drag Race. And you can find me on Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore, and even Twitter at uh, Colin Drucker. And you can find both of us on Instagram in a best supporting capacity at BSA Pod. Or you can send us an email at thebsapod at gmail.com. Well, obviously, your peepers are probably incredibly peeled right now because there is some being the you-know-what's news coming in this week's Best Supporting After Show. But if for some reason you are still unpeeled, peel those peepers and join us at patreon.com slash bsapod for the Best Supporting After Show. We have uh, much to cover. and do. It's gonna be a real defining moment. I'm gonna find out if if you if you even appreciated a moment of Nicole Kidman in the you know what's. I'm gonna lose my mind, but <laughs> we'll get to it when we get to it. <laughs> I know it's gonna be a wild one. Oh. I can't wait. And that, as they say, is that. Is that.